My name is James Lee. I am the president of International Theological Seminary. I'm now in Cameroon to reconnect with our alums, how they're doing and how their ministries are going, and also if there's anything that we can also continue to encourage them. I'm Jim Connor, uh, the senior pastor of Arcadia Presbyterian Church, and I'm in Cameroon with uh, ITS. I'm a new board member. I'm excited about ITS because it's making a difference in the world. The alums that we visited are taking the call that God has given them, and they're starting orphanages. They're caring for the widows and the poor. Just like the Bible says, how will you know someone who's my disciple? Because they care for the poor and the widows. The International Theological Seminary was established about 32 years ago uh, with the vision of bringing students and leaders from developing nations. We uh, want our students to grow so that when they go back, uh, they can make wide impact on their communities, on their churches, um, and uh, educational institutions. I'm Joyce Itwe. I went to ITS in 2007. I returned home as a chaplain of the University of Boya. My time in ITS was very rewarding. Inspiration also gave me the spirit of coming back as a humble servant and serving my people with that compassion. Cameroon for me, I think, is a very important uh, place strategically uh, because we want to recruit more bilingual students. Cameroon is actually bordered by several countries and many of them are French-speaking and uh, they are in need of uh, many trained leaders and pastors. The alums that we visited are doing things in their countries. They're leading people to Christ. They're growing churches. They're equipping other pastors who haven't had the luxury of an education that we almost take for granted in the United States. The ministry is not just one-sided in this part of the world. You know, it involves churches. It involves community development. And uh, it involves uh, helping the needy and the poor. You can participate and give to a lot of educational institutions. But when you give to ITS, you're giving to the education of students. And those students go back and they do extraordinary work. One of our current students, Andrew Jr., he has this vision for orphans and also widows as well. I never knew I was doing missionary work. Now coming to ITS has exposed me. I've come to know what I'm doing. I've become much more focused. So he is creating this community center and uh, he purchased a part of land. Uh, for Cocoa Farm, which is a very profitable business here, to provide uh, revenue for his ministry as well. It's just a little glimpse of what our graduates are doing uh, all over the world. I hope you've gotten a glimpse of the work of International Theological Seminary and its students. With 90% of the students going back to their country to change the communities they're from, your investment in ITS is an investment in changing the world and touching the lives of countless people. Wow, um, I, I'm excited to have uh, Dr. James Lee with us today. He's a good friend and also, um, you know, he's um, a, 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 was a professor, uh, teach, um, studied Old Testament, teaching Old Testament, and then he got called to have this opportunity to lead the seminary in Almani. And I had an opportunity to befriend him and join um, them on the board and to see what God is doing. And what's neat, and I'm so excited, not only is he intelligent and he, he's a godly man, um, but also he's, this vision for the seminary is so different. 
Um, uh, you know, a third are from parts of Africa, a third are uh, from China, and a third are from Korea, and they come in and almost get a free education. And so he has to not only teach and, and do, run the school, but he's raising funds to make it so that these students in um, difficult areas could come in and be trained for free, practically. And so I, I love the work that he does. Um, and his friendship, and I know you're going to enjoy him. And so as uh, Dr. James Lee comes up, let's give him a big hand, all right? Good morning. It's good to be here. I was here uh, last August. How many of you were here last August? Like a few, so I may have met you. Uh, uh, but here we go. I'm grateful to Pastor Steve and the rest of the leadership uh, for inviting me again to, to speak God's word, uh, but also um, don't worry, I'm not going to ask for your donation today. Um, yeah, that was Pastor Jim, very eager board member of ITS, uh, very enthusiastic and excited about the mission of our school, but also Pastor Steve sitting on the board. Um, I'm just very blessed uh, by this very supportive board who prays uh, and encourages uh, the work of ITS. And I know only because of their prayer and support, I can do the work that I'm doing now. Um, and also the mission of ITS can continue. So I covet your prayer. Uh, many people ask me, so you're the president of which school? I said ITS. And I say, okay, what's ITS stands for? And I say, it's International Theological Seminary. And they asked me, so where is this school? Um, and, and I say, well, you know, it's, it's been around 35 years. Uh, and many people don't know that. And that's partially because, unlike other schools, many of our graduates go back to their own country. And usually school gets known by their alumni, but our alumni go back to their own country, so uh, not too many people are here to talk about ITS. Uh, but when I go back to um, you know, some of the countries where our alumni are active, they think that ITS is a very big school. Uh, but if you come, it's a very small, very modest building. Uh, we could have invested in building a nice campus. We could have um, built a fancy library. But our board decided that that's not our priority. We want to invest in people's lives. We want to invest in giving scholarships to, to our students who cannot really afford any advanced theological education. Uh, we want to invest in their lives, and by doing so, we're investing in their community. Um, so that was a very conscientious choice our leadership made, and we're very, uh, I'm very proud of it. You know, Yes, my office might not be a nice office building, but as I walk in, I know I'm meeting um, world changers in my school. And uh, it's, uh, it's been a great privilege and joy to serve and work with these leaders from all around the world. And I wish you could come and see and meet these people because they'll change your life. Their stories will impact your faith. One of the students told me that you know, when you see us, you should not just see just me. Actually, you are seeing an entire village that has sent 
me, bless me, and praying for me. You know, some villages, they have no hope. You know, they've been stuck in their way of life, poverty, AIDS-stricken uh, reality. You know, they have no future, and they all of a sudden hear that their pastor is going to America to study. You know, they're hearing about uh, their neighbor, their uncle, their father is going to America to, to get an education. They know that it's, for them, it's the future. It's, it's the hope for the entire village. And they are greatly excited, and they have great expectations and hope for these people. And we don't want to let them down. And we, I remind our students, remember, you know, there are thousands of people who are supporting you and praying for you. You're not here on your own. You're here because all those people's prayer and so many churches that are supporting you. That's why you're here. So remember, remember the work that God has assigned you, the opportunity God has opened for you. Remember this. And I'm here because uh, not for our own, my own agenda, but because I know that school is doing important work for God's glory. You know, I'm a pastor. Um, I've never talked about money. In my family, my father was a pastor. My father never talked about money. Money was not a topic in my family. And growing up and even during my ministry years, you know, money is something that I never thought about or talked about. As a president, yes. Finance is a big topic, and it's constantly on my mind, day in and day out. And yes, I do talk about money, and I challenge people. That's because I know that investment and time and prayer does make a difference in these people's lives. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and I'm not ashamed of talking about money. But today, we'll not talk about it. Actually, we're here to hear God's word. So. May God minister to you and me as we meditate on this text. We're living in a tumultuous world. Changes are seen everywhere, here at home and also abroad. You know, the world that we're living is a very different place from the world that I lived 20, 30 years ago. I have a son who is four years old. Um, and we have an older version of Wii. And his favorite game is Lego Star Wars. Even this morning, I was getting ready. He got up at 6.30, ran to the TV, and he turned on the TV, Wii, and started playing. I said, what are you doing? You need to take a break. But it's just amazing to see how good he's at this game. I mean, I don't teach him, but just somehow he figured it out. He just part of second nature. He knows how to work the machine. He knows how to work joystick, you know, iPad, iPhone. Just There's so many things that are going on around us in terms of technology. And that was not the case when I was growing up. You know, I blame my parents for my stunted ability to play a video game because they did not allow me to go to an arcade. That I was a bad place. This is back in Korea. But that I was a bad place. They told me not to go. So I never really got to play video games. But nowadays, you know, technology changes our world, you know, changes our experience, the way we interact with people. You know, we have social media everywhere. 
you know, uh, even with our students, you know, our students who go back, you know, they become my Facebook friends and I get updates about their ministries daily. They upload pictures, they inform me about what's happening. So I hear directly about what's happening around the world. Recently, Nepal had a flood and, you know, a couple of alumni sent me pictures and email and messages asking me to pray because they just got flooded and there's so many people who were affected by, uh, by the flood. But interestingly, as we become more and more connected and more globalized, it's becoming more and more divided and fragmented. We're drawn to those people who share the same political, ideological views. We cannot share or engage in civil dialogues with people who may hold different views from ourselves. We're comfortable staying and being with those who support and affirm our worldviews. And our mental and emotional walls towards people who are different from us is getting higher and higher. I understand with changes come fear, but precisely because of what is happening in the world, the church has a more important place and also a role to fulfill as the body and ambassador of Jesus Christ. And that is to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ and confess God's unconditional love for all people in Christ Jesus. Now the passage that we just read is a baffling one for many people and for me as well. We imagine Jesus to be a compassionate person. We imagine Jesus to be a merciful, kind person. But the conversation that takes place between Jesus and the Canaanite woman is not so kind. In fact, when the Canaanite woman cried out to Jesus, Lord, son of David, help me. Have mercy upon me. My daughter is tormented with demon. But as we just read, Jesus does not respond a single word. He just ignores her and just keeps on going. Why such a silent treatment? Does Jesus not care? Can he not give an ear to a mother who aches and longs for the recovery and deliverance of her own tormented daughter? Now, she is portrayed as a Canaanite woman from the district of Tyre and Sidon. And the word Canaan could take us back to one famous Old, time, uh, Old Testament passage. At least in my mind, it just kind of just took me back to this passage. Passage about when Noah got drunk. As you know, he was a wine lover. He grew a lot of wine, and after the flood, he took a few glasses of wine, he got drunk, and he fell asleep naked. And the Bible says, his youngest son, Ham, went in and saw his father lying naked, did not cover him, but went back out and told his brothers. I'm assuming that he did not really say very nice things about his own father, but rather kind of maybe laughed at 
his father's drunken state. But when Noah woke up, found out that his younger son did not exactly do what a son's supposed to do, cover the father's shame or nakedness. Instead, he went and told on him to his brothers. He became mad and he cursed not him, but his son Canaan and predicted that Canaan's descendants will become slaves to the other brother's descendants. Now, this text became a basis for what we call Hamite hypothesis in the modern era. And it was used to legitimize the slavery of millions of people from Africa. My trip to Tanzania, I had a trip to Tanzania this past summer, this um, past June. I went there to visit uh, our alumni there. On the way back from my visit, I stopped by an island called Zanzibar. Uh, I didn't know anything about Zanzibar. I found out about the island from, uh, from Anthony Bourdain, you know, Parts Unknown. This is one of my favorite shows. And he talked about Parts Unknown and Zanzibar. And I thought, where is Zanzibar? I've never heard of this island. Beautiful beaches, blue water, and a lot of delicious food. So I said, I need to stop by Zanzibar. Now, one thing I did not know about this place was that this was one of the largest, the island uh, had one of the largest slavery trading centers um, in former days during the colonial era. Um, And I decided to go check out the place. It was now, of course, there's no more slavery now. uh, And the, the, the marketplace for slavery became a museum. And I went there, and the tour guide took me to a basement uh, um, a cell where they kept the slaves. Uh, it was uh, literally a quarter, even smaller than this room, but they packed that room, hundreds, hundreds of people in tiny cells with very small windows um, for, for a week. And what will happen is that many people die from suffocation because there's lack of oxygen and they just just crave for oxygen. But because of all these small windows and so many people packed into this place, people just die left and right. And after a week of this type of ordeal, they'll bring out survivors and they'll tie them to against these big giant trees and they'll start whipping them and they'll see if the person will make a scream or not. And there was a test to see if this person is strong enough to make a trans, a trans-oceanic journey. And that's how they decided who will make it, who will not make it. And those people who survive will get on the boat, will make a journey, long journey. And even that journey was not safe because many people die from disease, from hunger, thirst. And when they die, they'll be thrown out into the ocean. Um, When I, sure, you know, we hear about the horrible crime of slavery, but that's just one thing to hear about it, but to actually see, you know, what was done 
um, in that place. Um, I just could not hold tears, just imagining all the pain and suffering these people had to go through. And what crime and tragic treatment people had towards other fellow humankind. And some people try to justify their intention and action using the Bible, saying that it warranted and it legitimized this type of treatment of people. They should have known and read also from the Bible that God created the humankind in God's image. And God gave a specific instruction to Noah prohibiting killing another human being because they're also created in God's image. And God demanded a reckoning for all the blood, all the life that was taken. But sometimes in our own sinful nature, we use even our own religion to justify our own intention and action. And I was reminded of Jeremiah 17.9 that says, the heart is deceitful of all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? As we go back to the scripture passage, we see that Jesus was silent and our disciples were annoyed, embarrassed, and probably stressed out by this woman that's causing a scene. She was just crying out from the bottom of her lung, just asking, asking for help. And finally, the disciples pleaded with Jesus, send her away, do something about this woman. And the Greek word that's used here um, sin is to release her, dismiss her, lose her, just shoo her away. But Jesus was silent. And I take that as Jesus was not saying yes, but Jesus was not saying no either. And it made the woman more determined to get Jesus' attention, and I'm sure she screamed even louder. And then comes this heartbreaking response from Jesus. Jesus tells the disciples, and then later to the woman, I was not sent, or, well, literally, Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then the, to the woman, Jesus says, it is not good to take care or take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. He says, it is not good. What does that mean? It is not good. Does that mean Jesus is affirming the woman's unworthiness as a Canaanite woman? Because Canaan, her ancestor, was the cursed one? Was Jesus showing an ethnocentric attitude and racism towards her because Jesus was Jewish male and here's a woman who was a Canaanite? 
Some try to explain away Jesus' shocking response by saying, well, the dogs here, the term is actually not like street dogs, not in a derogatory term, but rather like house dogs, like, you know, cute little puppies. That could may well be the intention. I look at it more as Jesus' affirmation of his specific identity on earth and the priority of his ministry. Jesus did not come in a bodiless, shapeless form. Jesus was born as a Jewish male in the land of Palestine. In order to be the savior and redeemer of the world, Jesus had to be first born as the son of David and the Messiah for his own people, Israel. He was circumcised on the seventh day. He was presented to the temple. He went through, went through baptism. He went to synagogues every Sabbath, arguing, teaching. He was faithful to his Jewish identity. He want, did not want to betray this identity because that was something that was given to him. And Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He was not being unfaithful to his earthly ethnic identity. He deeply cared about his own people. If there's anyone who had this aching, longing heart for his own people, Jesus was. And so was Paul. Paul said in the book of Romans, he was even willing to sacrifice his own salvation if that meant salvation for his own people. So I think Jesus was showing his desire, deep desire to reach out to his own people. But I don't think that meant that Jesus rejected the Gentiles. I don't think it meant Jesus restricted God's love to his own people. Yes, you can affirm your own identity. You can affirm your own love for your own people, but God's love is bigger than that. God's heart is a lot larger than that. And God's kingdom is bigger than just my own family and my own people. Because God's kingdom is for all people of different colors and shapes. And I think Jesus knew that. I think so did Paul. And by coming to the land of Gentiles and interacting with the Canaanite woman, Jesus provides an example of what words of faith could do through the example of Canaanite woman. The words of Jesus to Canaanite woman seem harsh. But Martin Luther writes, how deeply God hides his grace before our face sometimes so that we do not turn to our own feelings or thinkings, but rather God wants us to place our trust in God's good promise found in his word. Yes, sometimes we have feelings goes and comes. You know, we feel like God is close to us. Another day when bad things happen, we feel like God is absent. This year marks my 10th anniversary, anniversary of, um, I diagnosed with cancer, and um, 10 years ago, exactly, um, 
Uh, I was diagnosed with cancer. I was 36. Um, I had two young children, happily married, under stress, trying to finish my dissertation. And all of a sudden, that news came. And I remember just thinking, uh, just my world just coming to an end, just crashing down, wondering and thinking, what did I do wrong? I got ordained as a pastor that year. I thought I would do God's work. I was ready. Well, yet that ordeal came, and I didn't know what to make of that experience. And every time that I had to go see a doctor, you know, whenever I had to go to see and take the exam, you know, I just didn't know what would happen, what would come out of that day. You know, would cancer come back? I need to go through another surgery. You know, I need to go through another treatment. And all those doubts and feelings of despair, fear just came over, just leaving me paralyzed. But those are the days and the times when God spoke to me through God's word. You know, just before I went to see a doctor, I will open up the Bible and listen to the word of God spoken through the words of Psalms, prophets, and the gospel, and the epistles. And just God's word just comes alive and as a hungry and thirsty and looking for some source of hope and security, I clung onto some of the words that gave me hope in life. And let me tell you, God did not disappoint me. God did not let me down. God fulfilled God's good promise that was given through those scriptures. So I know that our faith cannot depend on our own feelings and thinkings, because they come and go. Sometimes we feel good about ourselves, we, we feel good about our lives, but some days we feel so down in despair, we feel like we cannot really see any hope, our relationships are going sour, our work, work is not going too well, there are many challenges we face, the world is in chaotic place, there are many things that are telling us that there's no purpose and hope in this world in my life, but I think that's when we need to cling on to God's word all the more and we'll find God's deep hidden grace that is waiting to be uncovered if we seek out in faith, out of own needs, hunger, and thirst, asking God to give us that hope that we cannot find in this world, in our relationship, asking God to give us that purpose and meaning that we cannot find in our workplace, Ask God to give that word of hope and meaning and purpose. And I believe God answers our prayers because Jesus answered the Canaanite woman's prayer. Once again, to quote Martin Luther, he says, the Canaanite woman catches Jesus Christ in his own words. And that wins not only the right of a dog, but also that of the children. The woman, Canaanite woman says, you know what? Yes, you're right, I'm a dog. Yes, you're right, I'm a Gentile. But even the dogs receive food from the master's table. And there's no more Jesus could say 
because the Canaanite woman responded using Jesus' words in faith, asking Jesus to do something for even a person who is Gentile, who's been despised. Nowadays, I think a lot and ask myself, you know, what is really my faithful response to all the challenges and difficulties I see around me and in this nation? You know, what does it look like, a, a faithful Christian nowadays? And I really wonder, and if really truly believe that this woman was commended for her faith, what would that picture look like in my life? You know, how, how can we respond in faith in my life? And I pray. I pray for God's wisdom. I pray for discernment because I know this is the time that we need to act and respond in faith. And I know the world is searching and looking for Christians' faithful response because I know that they are confused, they are fearful, and they are looking for direction and answers. If you truly believe that we are serving and worshiping God who is omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-loving, who has given God's word through Jesus Christ, we know that there has to be a faithful response that we can find as we seek in faith. And I pray the same prayer for you and me. I pray the crossway. God has been using the church. Pray that God will continue to reveal this faithful response to meet the needs of the community. Let us pray. Christ Jesus, thank you for your mercy and grace. Help us continue to seek out your hidden grace, although they may not be visible. Lord, we know that you are gracious and merciful towards us. Help us faithful. Help us persevere. In Christ we pray. Amen.